on today's episode of the Blue Bloods. College football is over, but it, this is not the end. As a matter of fact, this is just the beginning. We told all of you we had content coming, and it's time to showcase it. We aren't just another blurb on the radar. We're here, and we want you guys to know that we are here to take over the world. Uh, we have a huge announcement today, plenty of segments. We're going to kick this episode off with our concluding thoughts on the national championship game. We have a few more players that have declared for the draft and some that decided to stay. Uh, transfer, portal, uh, transfer portal update, and we're going to wrap this episode up with storyline of the week. Just because football is over doesn't mean that we're done. The content keeps flowing. Everybody knows the deal. Uh, we weren't bluffing, and we're here to stay now. So let's go ahead and get this episode started. today's episode off we have our national championship uh our, our concluding thoughts on that anyway uh and i just felt like we needed to do this segment well because you guys heard me um you guys heard me last monday that was a week ago but you know maybe you forgot maybe you still remember uh but zach let's hit them with this quick sound clip real quick i'll kick this off because <clears throat> mr joe burrow has officially secured his spot for the best season of all time with his performance tonight. I'll be honest uh, with you. This is – Joe Burrow's season this year has been incredible. His wide receivers have been outstanding. I just, like – if you think about it in the history of college football, who else has been more incredible than this LSU Tigers team? Yeah, so these are just going to be my more coherent thoughts on this game. Uh, this game, uh, listen, my favorite thing to say last Monday was that this game was incredible, that LSU was incredible. Um, but I've got way more thoughts than that. You guys know me. It, it's not just going to be uh, simply that. Uh, so let's go ahead and get this one started. This game, I'm not going to lie to you, you could have marked me down as nervous uh, when this game started, Zach. <laughs> I think I texted yeah, you and I was like, the panic button is right next to me. Yeah, um, you know, uh, it's it was it was a rough start, dude. I mean, when they jumped up seventeen to seven, I was I was texting uh, you and Blake, and I was like, "Ooh, this this is going to be uh, part two of Clemson uh, ruins the SEC." Because uh, at, at that point, it really didn't look like LSU had anything for Clemson. No, I mean it was, you know, the first couple drives. Of course, you had the first drive that was. Uh, I mean, LSU kept getting pinned within their own like ten yard line. So they're backed up against the goal line. And I think I was texting you just, just getting so mad. They kept throwing these screen passes. That was like all they wanted to play. That's not like all they wanted to do. Um, I think on the first play of the game, Joe Burrow aired the ball out. A, like It was like a 20-yard gain. And then there was like a – I think there's an, el- an eligible receiver downfield, so we got called back. So instead of a 20-yard gain, it was a three-yard loss. Um, and, and that just kind of summed up the, like the first two or three drives for LSU. Like nothing was looking, nothing was clicking. I mean, they hadn't, they looked worse than they looked all year. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they were a penalty, uh, a penalty call or two away from Clemson being up like 24 to seven or even worse. I mean, so LSU, you know, 
stayed within striking distance because I think if it's 24 seven, I, I think, I really think this might get out of hand. Yeah. I mean, and I want to give some credit to LSU's defense real quick. I mean, even though they allowed 17 points in the first quarter and, you know, like a quarter and a half, um, they, I mean, at least when I was watching the game, I was pretty impressed with, they were, with what they were doing just because this Clemson offense, I mean, even though, you know, <laughs> in the second half of this game, it didn't look too good. Like things weren't looking up for Clemson. Um, in the first half of this game, I mean, their offense was clicking on every single cylinder. They were driving the ball. Um, and when they didn't drive the ball, I mean, they would pin LSU real deep in their own uh, territory. So uh, I was I was truly impressed that LSU's defense only <laughs> held them to only 17 points in the first uh, quarter and a half. Yeah, I mean, they only allowed, what, eight points the rest of the way. Uh, they played one heck of a game. Dave Aranda deserves a lot of credit for, for you know, for getting a defense that took a lot of criticism throughout the season. He got them ready, and they had probably – I would say their second or third best performance of the year because, I mean, that Georgia and Texas A&M performance was really, really impressive. But to do it against Clemson, I, I think, might carry a little bit more weight. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, and you look at the stats in this game, and what did you say about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Zach? You said if he had under 100 rushing yards, LSU would lose this game? Yeah. Yeah, how many did he have? Uh, off the top of my head, I, I don't remember. But 110 I mean, yards. LSU yeah. won this game, obviously. Zach, I'm going to give you a little bit of credit here. Um, well, another thing I want to talk about was Joe Burrow at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the first half when he just got smashed on that touchdown pass. <laughs> that that yeah, little, I mean, little six-yard pass to, uh, to Thaddeus Moss, and everyone thought that he broke his ribs. Yep. I mean, I was a couple, uh, I was, I was a couple deep at that point, and – even I was like, wow, I think he might have just died right there. Apparently, he didn't, <laughs> apparently he didn't break his ribs. Uh, he has some torn cartilage in his ribs, but still, I mean, to end, I mean, because his second, I mean, he played incredible even in the second half with that torn cartilage in his ribs. Yeah, uh, he did. And, you know, uh, I, I've given a lot of my thoughts about this game because uh, I, I was uh, carrying the episode uh last time appreciate it but <laughs> but you know I just you know I had some time to think about it and just kind of let everything sink in because we recorded immediately after the game uh so I really didn't have a lot of time it was just like my off the top thoughts right after the game you know and now just going back and like looking at the season as a whole um you know I think LSU this LSU team had the best season I've ever personally like witnessed in my lifetime. I it was, uh, I mean, it was pure domination. And that's like a little bit biased for me, obviously. But I mean, if you go back and look at it, LSU's closest game was against Auburn this year because the Alabama game, while it was close, it didn't seem that way. Like the Auburn game, I was way more worried about the Auburn game than I was about the Alabama game when I was watching it. And I was nervous about the Alabama game, but, but, the Auburn game, just something about it, because Auburn's defense was able to hold LSU so close. And, I mean, honestly, LSU, I mean, LSU won by three points in that game. I mean, was, I mean, LSU scored fewer than 30 points one time this season, and that was against Auburn. And so that, that yeah. speaks numbers about that team. But other than that, I mean, you can go back and look through LSU's schedule, and they just, I mean, they dominated. Even when the score was somewhat close, like the Alabama game, like – LSU, I mean, that was like a, that was 
that was like a last ditch effort by Alabama to get it within a touchdown. LSU was leading by uh, two 20 scores. at the halftime. I'm saying like, and, and uh, same thing with Texas. Texas um, came back and scored a lot or like a like a last ditch effort touchdown um, in kind of garbage time. But I mean, LSU won that game convincingly. One last thing I did want to say is that LSU did not have one final drive this year. Not a two minute offense. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, they did not have one last drive where they won the game within like the past like five minutes or ten minutes. They were always leading uh, going into that much. They never had to have that quick offense that scores to win the game. Yeah. I mean, the closest they came, like you said, was the Auburn game when they had to – they really didn't have to score. They just had to shut, uh, kill the clock. Because right. uh, Auburn was within three, they had the ball left. Auburn, you know, was going to get the ball back if they didn't get a few first downs, and they did. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you look at the the records, I mean, this team is the second ever fifteen and zero team in college football history. Um, that was the what the first in the SEC, um, and they set a, a FBS record for touchdown passes uh, in a half. Uh, points and a half in a game uh, in the Peach Bowl. They were the first team to have a 4,000-yard passer, two 1,000-yard receivers, and a 1,000-yard rusher. I mean, dude, I mean, this is just insane what this team – the stats and just the accomplishments this team had. Right. No, I mean, I, obviously I agree with you here, but, um, I mean, I think this is pretty objective. I think that – and I understand there's arguments for other teams that should be the greatest of all time. Sure, I'll hear those out because I'm not – I mean – while I would like to think this Tigers team this year was the greatest of all time, I'm still living off of this high. You know, it's only been a week. It, well, actually, at the time of recording, it's been less than a week uh, since since we watched this game, uh, since this season ended for LSU. Um, so I'm still kind of riding that. But honestly, I don't know if you could convince me that any other team had a better season. Like, Yeah, especially with the schedule they played, man. I'm saying they ended up beating four out of the top five teams. I think seven out of the top 10 teams by the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. People, people are just biased based on their own team. Um, But I I don't think it's a debate at this point, man. I mean, going back and looking at it, this team has an argument to be one of the greatest teams of all time. And, uh, you know, it was the first season of the blue bloods and um. I'm just honored to have actually covered the season and because I don't think we'll ever see another season exactly like this one. No, I mean, it would be, it would be really difficult to duplicate this kind of season, Um, especially the way that people schedule. I mean, talk to any Alabama fan. They'll tell you they schedule years ahead of time and that's why their schedule is so uh, trash. Um, But I mean, honestly, you do schedule a couple years ahead of time. So you never know what teams are going to be good when unless you had no idea that, that, that seven of the teams they played would end up in the top 10 um, in the top 10 of the final rankings. So, um, I mean, that in and of itself is just going to be hard to be able to, I guess, um, predict like you'll never know (laughs) before the season starts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I get it, but I mean, I don't remember a year that Texas LSU would not be a good matchup to watch. Other teams are scheduling teams like Duke and Georgia Tech, and those would never be good games. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, LSU went out on a limb and said, we're going to schedule a blue blood program on the road. 
while other teams are like, you know, I'll schedule this, you know, mid-tier ACC team in Atlanta or in Orlando or any other neutral site. And it's like, well, you're not really putting your neck out there. I mean, LSU scheduling Texas on the road. Uh, you know, Florida Florida play is, I believe, is playing a pretty big game next year. I'm blanking out. They played Miami in the middle of Florida. It's a 50-50 game that's a that's a pretty big game and Auburn played Oregon in Dallas Oregon won the Pac-12 this year I mean there are real teams out here scheduling real opponents while other teams are taking the easy way out right uh one final thought for me at least in this game um is going to be that I didn't realize how bad Trevor Lawrence looked he he had 17 overthrows this game you know he he had a how many incomplete passes? He had 19 incomplete passes. 17 of those were yep. overthrows. So, like, those were just his fault. I mean, his receivers were catching the ball. He just couldn't get it to them. Yeah, and, well, I mean, you got to credit uh, Derek Stingley and Grant Delpit and this whole secondary for locking down these receivers. I mean, yeah, you know, if he got it to his receivers, they would catch it, but the windows were so small. He was trying to force balls, and, you know, he was trying to, trying to make plays that weren't there. And he just – like I said on our previous episode, this is the first game Trevor Lawrence looked rattled. Like, the moment was too big for him, and he flinched, and the quarterback who flinched first was going to lose this game. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know if I could make Joe Burrow flinch if I actually punched him. Like, I just don't think I could. I think this guy is just—he's <laughs> made of iron. I think I'm not, I'm not positive, but I think so. Um, four hundred sixty-three yards. I know I talked about that a whole lot last week, but four hundred sixty-three yards in the national championship game? Are you kidding me? That's insane. I mean, uh, he. Th- this guy is not human uh i mean i i don't think we've ever seen a guy go from being just a middle of the road quarterback to being an absolute legend dude he wasn't it's, even middle of the road last year he was like he had like a 56 percent completion rate last year i think he had like 16 total touchdowns last season yeah he, i mean if you rank the rank the sec starting quarterbacks from you know the previous year i would put tua jake from kellen mond jared stidham from auburn uh, probably Nick Nick Fitzgerald from uh, Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, uh, who who else do we gonna put above him? I would put you know a good bit of of other. I mean, it's just tough, man. I mean, he might have been the sixth, seventh best quarterback in the SEC right last year, and then he's gonna go on and win the Heisman and be probably marked down as a top two or three quarterback in college football history. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's just the, the leap that he made was incredible. I'm not going to harp on this game too much longer. Um, like I said, those are my concluding thoughts. Um, but this game, I don't know. It, it, it was a fun game to watch for the first half. In the second half, LSU kind of pulled away. Um, it was obviously fun for me to watch all the way through. So I'm not going to sit here and trash it because that's just that would just be absurd. But um, the second quarter was maybe one of the most fun quarters of football I've ever watched in my life. Yeah. Because, uh, it, I mean, it, the lead changes, the – I mean, everything about it, it, it was just – it was crazy to me. Yeah, I'm, I'll give you that. I mean, this game really shocked me. I mean, I had clips in about 10, and I was cocky and at the middle <laughs> of the second quarter. I was like, oh, your boy hit another one. Uh, but, you know, I – you can't you can't take anything away from Joe Burrow and Coach O and Joe Brady and Steve Emzinger and Dave Aranda. I mean, th- this team just 
put it all together, man. I mean, they have the defense. You know, they've had the defense for years. I mean, this LSU defense has been solid for as long as I can remember. They just had to get a passing game. And Joe Brady brought that, and he had just – he fell into the perfect situation with Joe Burrow because he has some untapped potential that no one, you know, really understood. But, you know – the one thing I do want to say, I don't think I've really covered it, you know, on the recap episode because we were called up in the game. But during the game, the LSU, the, the, not the LSU announcers, the ESPN announcers kept saying, um, oh, Joe Burrow was a two-star recruit. No not one true. wanted him. And that was a complete lie, guys. This, let's not act like this kid was just, you know, in the dump garbage coming he out of high school. Four this, stars, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a four-star recruit that got a full ride to Ohio State. Ohio State's not recruiting scrubs. No, I mean, so let's and, not and act- Urban Meyer said it himself. I mean, he said it was neck and neck between him and Dwayne Haskins every single year. Yeah, I don't doubt that for just, a second. Yeah, and Dwayne Haskins just fit the offense that Ohio State was running better. I mean, and let's not say that, you know, they're stupid because they didn't start Joe Burrow. Let's not act like Dwayne Haskins was a scrub in college. I mean, yeah, he might be a scrub for the Redskins right now, but he's, uh, he's, uh, but you know what? Everyone would be a scrub on the Redskins. Um, and, and, you know, I just – I really didn't like the narrative that, you know, everyone who didn't offer this kid a scholarship should be fired and everyone's stupid for not wanting him because if he's getting full rise to Ohio State, there's a lot of people who wanted him. So that's not uh, – the guy had an amazing season. It came out of nowhere. But let, let's not let, – let's not, you know, stress the truth on this one. I mean, the kid has been good for a long time and everyone knew it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean – not, I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, yeah, I knew him before he came to LSU because I didn't. I mean, I don't know a lot of teams' backup quarterbacks, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Don't, don't try to change the narrative because, because it fits what you're saying better. Like, that's just ridiculous. Uh, let's go ahead and move on from the national championship game, though. We already did a whole episode on it. We just spent however much time talking about it again. Um, glad we could do it. I'd love to talk about it all day, but we have other things to talk about. So let's go ahead and move on to our NFL uh, decisions. So we have a couple more draft declarations here um, and some guys that have decided to stay that, honestly, I was confused. Wow. By. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we'll start off with the two teams that played in the national championship. We'll start off with Clemson first. Um, you know, two of the big ones were uh, T. Higgins, the wide receiver, and Isaiah Simmons, the you know, he won the Buckus Award, and he's just been a staple. He'll be a future top five pick. Isaiah Simmons, both have declared for the NFL draft, and I don't think this comes as a surprise to absolutely anybody that no. these two guys are headed to the NFL. Definitely should have happened. I mean, these guys, I mean, they led their team all year. So, it, I don't – you can't blame them for wanting to make that money at all. No, and – and this is going to be a bold statement. I think Isaiah Simmons might be the best player that to ever come out of Clemson. And I know that sounds I don't know wild. How bold it is though, because he was playing linebacker, but I mean, he, more than anything, he was playing like a safety. So he mm-hmm. was just an all-around player. He can probably play either one in the uh, in the NFL. I'd be. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he uh, got drafted to be a safety for a team, like a strong safety. Yeah, and I'm- I mean, or just some, a hybrid type position. Like I mean, there's Tyron a lot Matthew. of teams that can I mean, do the same type of guy. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think Isaiah Simmons is a little bit bigger than Tyron Matthew. I'm not he's bigger, I'm not, and he's definitely. I I think he's better, but it's yeah, just, I'll give you that. Yeah. But I I just I I know it's tough when you know Deshaun Watson came out of Clemson, and you have people like Sammy Watkins, and you know, if you look at the defensive exodus of last year with um 
with, you know, Lawrence and um, uh, what's the kid's name, man, Wilkins and all of them. I mean, they were stud defensive ends, but I just think Isaiah Simmons has more talent than all of them. And I think Isaiah Simmons is in for a long NFL career. But let's get to the big news out of Clemson, and that is Travis Etienne is coming back to, to school for one more year to win a national championship at Clemson, according to him. And I, I don't want to say it. I, I'll, I'll post the text messages. Uh, my, my uncle works up in Clemson real close to the team. He told me Travis Etienne was leaving, and I texted him the night of the national championship and said I had a feeling he's coming back. And oh, he said I, I was crazy, and, and he said I was crazy, and it didn't make any sense, and I told him just wait and watch. And here we are, Travis Etienne coming back for one more year. Yeah. I mean, it that blew my mind. You know, you you know, you already predicted it, but I don't, I, I can't understand why he's coming back for his senior year. Because he had a terrible, terrible, um, you know, game in the national championship. I mean, and not not really. I guess terrible might be strong, but only seventy yards when you're supposed to be the staple of the offense. Not great. He knows Trevor Lawrence is coming back next year. He knows they got some offensive talent coming back in Justin Ross and a few of the offensive linemen. He knows that Clemson has no competition in the ACC outside of North Carolina. Why not come back, try to win you a championship, and, you know, you might you might have a chance to go first round next year because I don't think he was going to be taken over J.K. Dobbins or DeAndre Swift. No, I don't think so either. Um you know, as a matter of fact, before the game started, I think that uh, – I forgot who it was. It was one of the ESPN analysts uh, ranked him as the number five running back in the country right now. Um, so, a little bit disrespectful. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, they ranked him behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think that Travis Etienne is overall a better running back. You know, and that's no disrespect to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, definitely an amazing running back, but to rank him number four overall in this draft above Travis Etienne to me just seemed – you know, like a little much. Yeah, uh, it it did. Uh, I, I think I think he's grossly underrated. I mean, I think he's a first round talent, but NFL scouts do not. So I have no problem with him coming back. But we'll move to LSU, where literally almost nobody is staying. I mean, everyone decided let's pack up, get out of Baton Rouge asap. Um, you know, we'll start on the defensive side of the ball with two of the biggest losses. They had a lot more than this, but we'll focus on people that you guys will recognize. And that is Grant Delpit, the defensive back for LSU, and Patrick Queen, the linebacker for LSU, both declared for the draft. Which makes sense. I mean, those guys, I don't, it was no secret Grant, uh, Grant Delpit was leaving. Um, Patrick Queen, I mean, has been a star all year long. So, I mean, who's I would have liked to see him come back. I really would have. I thought it was a bad decision. Did you? I, I, I don't think he's going to be a top pick at the linebacker position, especially with people like Isaiah Simmons coming out. And, I mean, you come back to LSU, I mean, yes, you probably don't win the national championship because of everyone who left. I got that. But for linebacker, you're not graded on winning. Quarterback is the only position that NFL scouts really care about winning as much as other ones. So I think Patrick Queen could have came back and been a staple of the defense and improved his stats. But at the same time, now, you know, we're going to get to it in a little bit later in the show. Uh, exodus of coaching on the defensive side of the ball really, I think, played his biggest decision. I think if Aranda's coming back, Patrick Queen comes back. Yeah, no, and that's exactly what I was about to say. Um, I think that his decision was probably pretty influenced by Aranda going to Baylor. So, I mean, you're going to have a whole different defensive coordinator – 
Dave Aranda is obviously one of the greatest defensive minds in college football right now. And so with him leaving for Baylor in that position up in the air right now, uh, and I'll cover that a little bit more later, but yeah, I mean, I can't blame the guy for trying to, for, for leaving right now uh, because next season, even though he may have better stats, even though he may be able to uh, pad those just a little bit, he's not going to have Dave Aranda calling the defense. So uh, I would, I would venture to say he probably wouldn't if he stayed. Yeah. Well, okay. So moving to the offensive side of the ball, there's one guy I think made the worst decision to leave. And it's another guy who is going to be a first round pick, no doubt. And that is Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the running back for LSU and Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver, one of the many explosive wide receivers that LSU had both leaving for the NFL. And I think Edwards Hilaire made the incorrect decision to leave for the NFL draft. I agree there, actually. Um, I would have loved to see him come back. But I think that – I don't want to say he was, like, pushed out because I don't think that's exactly the case. But LSU has three freshman running backs right now um, who can all probably do what Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been doing all year. And that's no disrespect to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, I love – like I said, and I feel like I keep trashing him. I'm really not trying to. Incredible running back, and he was a big part of LSU's championship season this year. But, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, those three guys are – they're good. They're the real deal. So I just um, don't think I don't think Everett Hilaire is sitting behind them though. I think no, Everett no, Hilaire is not going to sit behind. He's not going to sit behind them. But I mean, why would you? I mean, after this year that he's had, because did did you know who Clyde Edwards Hilaire was last year? I mean, I did, but I'm curious if you did. I mean, <clears throat> I saw him play because you know I watch LSU play, but I. I didn't like know him, you know, as a star like he was this year. That's what I'm saying. And now, I mean, if you watch college football, <laughs> if you watched it all this season, you knew who Clyde Edwards-Alaire was. I think that his draft stock rose a lot this year just because of, I mean, obviously name recognition. Um, obviously, the year that he's had has been incredible. So while I would have liked to see him come back and play, I'm not going to sit here and trash the decision to uh, to declare for the draft. I mean, I mean like I said – I <laughs> ESPN's analysts had him ranked as the fourth running back in the draft. Hmm. Uh, that's wild that they're going to have him above Etienne. That's insane to yeah. me. But, um, yeah, so Justin Jefferson, no, I don't think that surprises me or you or any of our listeners. No, if you would have told me that before the year, I would have been like, nah, he'll probably come back for a senior year. But after watching him play this season, I mean – the guy didn't really have a choice. <laughs> he had an incredible year. He was LSU's second leading receiver, um, but I think he was their leading scorer. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah. He was their leading scorer, um, which, I mean, go ahead. Go make that money. Yeah, no doubt. And I forgot about one guy. Um, we'll just briefly cover him. Thaddeus Moss also going to the NFL. He's yeah. a tight end slash wide receiver, Randy Moss's son. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on this. I mean, he'll probably get drafted because he's Randy's son. And, I mean, NFL, you can never put a price on a tight end that can also pretty much play wide receiver. Uh, I think he'll be a fourth, fifth-round pick. But, I mean, I don't know if he comes back how much that improves. No, I, I think that's probably where his mind was at because he had a great year this year. Um, I mean, I think that it probably – I think the second half of the season was a lot better for him. Uh, the first half, I mean, he was still making catches. The second half, obviously, the playoff really pushed him over the edge. Um, yeah, but, I mean, this guy, I don't know. I don't know if there was a wrong decision here, or a right or a wrong one, because if he would have left uh, – well, he did leave. 
since he left, people are like, yeah, well, kind of indifferent. If he would have come back, I think that people would have been indifferent as well. So, you know, <laughs> that was, it was really up to this guy. I'm kind of torn on it too. <laughs> yeah, so to wrap up this segment, we have three running backs that we need to cover. First, we'll start with Colin Hill from Mississippi State. We covered him a few episodes ago. He said he was going to the draft. Well, Mike Leach gets hired. He has changed his decision. Colin Hill is coming back to Mississippi State. And this guy, I mean, that's a huge win for Mike Leach, even though he doesn't run the ball. So this is a weird decision for Colin Hill. I don't know what kind of promises uh, you know, Mike made to him, but he's coming back. I mean, he led the SEC in rushing up to like week eight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was – this decision was kind of weird to me um, because <laughs> while I don't think that he was going to be like – I mean, he would have been one of the top running backs, but I don't think that he's – I mean, he's obviously not – well, he might be in the top five now, but he wasn't in the top five before uh, the season was over. Um, come back into this offense, like you said, where Mike Leach just likes to air the ball out. I mean, that's all he does. Was That is kind of weird. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe he has hopes that Mississippi State will have a better year this year or this upcoming year than they did this past year. I have no idea. But, yeah, I, I mean, weird decision, but I'll let it ride. Yeah, and then finally has made his decision public. Najee Harris, Alabama's running back, coming back to Bama, coming back to Tuscaloosa for one more year. And I think this makes Alabama scary next year. It does. I mean, they're returning a ton of guys from injury. Um, their defense is going to be back, hopefully at full force, you know. Um, this is – I don't know. This guy had an incredible year. And I think that next year he's – they're setting him up to have an even bigger year. Yeah, I think he loses SEC in rushing next year. I think with the loss of Tua, they're going to lean on Najee early in the year with a younger quarterback – or, or let me just say an experienced quarterback, because I think it's going to either be Bryce Young, true freshman, or Mac Jones, who has two games of experience. Now, given two very big games, I mean, going into Jordan-Hare, playing Auburn, and then beating Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, huge, huge wins, huge leaps of experience. But I think they're going to lead on Najee Harris a lot, and I expect him to be a first-round pick next year, especially yeah. after watching what Derrick Henry's doing in the NFL, because they're right. – both big, fast, strong running backs. And so I think Najee Harris is going to have a huge year. Absolutely. People forget that Mac Jones also played against Arkansas, but that's beside the point. Yeah, that's true. No one cared about that game or watched that game. Um, but Not even Bama fans. You can probably look in the stands. <laughs> um, but finally, this is my favorite announcement. Um, shout out to my boy Troy, who found me in my office when this announcement was made and was celebrating the one Oklahoma State fan I know. Chuba Hubbard is coming back to Stillwater, Oklahoma to finish some business. And uh, I'm dropping the Blue Bloods um, way too early top 25 ranking. And I have Oklahoma State absurdly too high because of this. But I think Oklahoma State is going to be scary good next year. They're going to have to lean on them. Uh, I mean, I understand they kind of leaned on them this year. But um, they're going to have to lean on them a lot more. I mean, this guy... I can't remember how much he was averaging, like how many yards per uh, per carry, but it was something insane. I think it was like up to like six, like, seven, eight yards. I think it was seven or eight yards per carry, and he was averaging like 160 yards a game. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be scary. Um, <laughs> this guy probably would have been like a sneaky pick for some kind of NFL team because apparently he's somehow flying under the radar, which doesn't make sense, but he is. 
Um, but, yeah, I mean, coming back to Oklahoma, he's going to have another big year. I mean, they're set for a huge year. And then his draft stock is just bound to rise. Yeah, I think I think he um, he I think he'll be the league's leading rusher next year, like total NCAA leading rusher. And I think he wins Doak Walker next year. And I think this dude is a sneaky Heisman pick uh, for next year. And I I'm really high on Oklahoma State next year, guys. I cannot wait to start doing our preview episodes by conference because Oklahoma State is going to be really really good in my opinion, especially with the return of Tylen Wallace as well. Yeah, for sure. So now we will move to our next segment. We have a transfer portal update. We haven't really talked about a lot of transfers, but we figured we update the transfer portal. It's really, really busy at this time of year. Um, so we got, got these separated by positions. Uh, and so we'll start with quarterback. That's the only position a lot of you guys care about. And so we'll start with the big announcement that came out as we were recording today on Sunday, January 19th. The Eric King has given has given Miami his commitment. If you guys don't remember who the Eric King was, he was the guy who set out the season at Houston because he was upset about how crappy they were. So he saved a year of eligibility. He's a, he's a, I believe he's immediately eligible to play next year, and right. he will be down in South Beach next year playing for the Hurricanes. Yeah, Coral Gables uh, just added another man to the roster, um, dude. I don't know. I don't know if this is the right choice for him. I mean, I understand he's going to start there, but, I mean, he's going to Miami. He was yeah, upset about it. how Houston was playing. Now he's going to Miami. And, and Louisiana Tech and FIU just got done smacking Miami. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I just I, – I, I know he played really well in Houston, but he, every quarterback that has ever played at Houston has put up big numbers. I, I don't think I, – I just – I don't think he's going to – do as much as some people think he is. I mean, if he would have went somewhere like LSU or Arkansas or something like that, maybe. But I just I don't I don't know if Miami has the talent around him to really help. I mean, we saw how bad Miami's offensive line was this year, man. They were young, but I mean, yeah, everyone says experience, you know, is huge for offensive lines. But even if you get experience, you have to get better. And did they get? Are they going to be able to get better enough over the offseason? Yeah, I mean that's definitely I mean, that's a valid question. Um, I guess we're gonna find out. I don't know. I mean, Derek King is obviously <laughs> a great asset to any any offense, but I mean that's just coming off of that. What his sophomore season he had like, I think it was like thirty six touchdowns, like something like thirty two hundred yards. Like he had a pretty good year. Um, yeah. And so now, I mean, he's obviously a very valuable asset. This is a guy that was actually a two star recruit. I think, I think he's two. Or yeah, three. he was not high. He was two or three. Um, but you know, speaking of another quarterback who found him a new home, I think this is going to be so interesting. I am interested to see how this fits. Jamie Newman from Wake Forest has committed to Georgia and will most likely be the Bulldogs starting quarterback next year. Crazy, right? Because yeah. <laughs> obviously going to Wake Forest, uh, you don't go to Wake Forest if you have an offer from Georgia, right? So apparently coming out of high school wasn't too highly sought after. Um, had an incredible year this year. I mean, we all saw what Wake Forest did. They surprised me. Um, and, yeah, now, we, and it's mostly because of him. I mean, just the way he was playing was insane. And now he's got a chance to go to Georgia. I mean, and it's a school that puts out NFL talent. So, uh, you know, you got to hope the best for the kid, but it, it's it's going to be definitely interesting. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's huge for Georgia. They're losing 10 of their 11 starters on offense to have some experience at a position, to have a kid who played in a Power 5 conference. They went to a bowl game this year. I believe we covered Wake Forest one or two times on the podcast this year. Um, I know we covered their bowl game. I think we covered another game with them. Um, But Jamie Newman's got some talent, man. Uh, He does. He can sling the ball. But it's a huge step up in, um, you know, opponent talent coming from the ACC, especially Wake Forest and playing SEC football. Uh, if you don't remember, Georgia has to, is playing Alabama, Auburn, and Florida all next year. Right, right. And it's Alabama in Bryant Denny Stadium. That's not going to be like playing Louisville. No, um, and so it's going to be interesting to see Jamie Newman. So, you know, moving on, we have Brandon's favorite quarterback in college football, Felipe Franks. Well, still in the transfer portal, and it seems from what I've read to be a Kansas versus Arkansas battle. That makes more sense than anything that you that we've ever said on the show, because <laughs> we we have been the anti Felipe Franks podcast since the very beginning. Um, dude, I just that makes way too much sense. I didn't know that actually, so this is kind of news to me. But um, yeah, I, I, I go play for Les Miles. That'd be hilarious. Mm. I'll get to go see them play next year, man. They come to they come play at um, in Manhattan, Kansas next year. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he needs to get out of the SEC. I don't think he wants any of those SEC West problems. If you can't play in the SEC East, stay out of the SEC West, especially with Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and then with Mississippi State and Ole Miss reloading with new coaches. And let's not forget about how good Texas A&M is going to be next year with all the talent they're returning. So no. I say he needs to go to Kansas, but he might have too much pride. You know, the SEC might be too much to turn down. So we will see. Um, moving on to running back, I love this. This is my favorite transfer um, that, you know, I've researched. We have Jerome Ford, who was a running back from Alabama. He was, uh, I believe, like a four, all borderline five-star running back, and he is transferring to Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, great pickup for Cincinnati. Um, they're getting Ritter back next year, so that, yep. that offense is going to be dangerous. Really Dude, dangerous. Cincinnati is going to be really, really good next year. Um, they were really, really good this year. I mean, let's let's not forget they had three losses, two of them to Memphis, and both of those were by one score, and they were true away games. The AAC has got to fix the conference championship game location because that's BS. <laughs> I right. mean, that's a little ridiculous, but I think this is a huge pickup for Cincinnati. And, I mean, anytime you get a running back that was good enough to get a full ride to Bama and, you know – he leaves Bama because probably because Najee Harris is coming back. Let's be honest. Makes sense. And he goes to Cincinnati. I mean, if he was competing at Bama, do you know what he's going to do to the AAC? It's it's going to be definitely interesting. Um, it's <laughs> man, it's nuts. It's going to be fun. But you know, moving on to wide receiver, we have Justin Shorter, Penn State wide receiver, um, and it's looking like he's leaning toward Florida. Yeah, Which would be a I, huge I mean, pickup. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, you're leaving you're leaving Penn State um, and and Sean Clifford to go play for Florida and Kyle Trask. I mean, that's just a world of difference. Yeah, with Dan especially, Mullen calling your plays. Man, especially with all that stuff that's coming out of Penn State right now. Yeah, uh, separate yourself from that program. They, I don't know how they keep doing it, but they do. 
Yeah, and this is the only Penn State player on our transfer portal watch list right now. I will not be surprised if there's more, you know, in the upcoming episodes. Dude, it's, I, um, mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't either. Uh, I would transfer if I was a Penn State. Yeah. So. And, you know, that's not on our episode today, the Penn State story. We're going to bring that to you guys later this week in one of our other episodes coming out this week. We'll make sure to cover that in our storyline of the week because that is just a ridiculous thing coming out of Penn State. But, you know, talking about, you know, someone, Brandon probably can help me out here because I don't know this player as well as Brandon probably does. D. Anderson, the LSU wide receiver, officially yep. entered his name in the transfer portal. Um, Brandon, is this a big loss for LSU? Are you guys going to be all right? Tell I me think, more about this. Listen, you you definitely hate to see a player transfer, but this is any uh, – I mean, this is the case for any big school. Uh, I mean, this is the case for LSU's, Auburn's, Alabama's, Florida's, Georgia's, whoever you want to name. Just if you're a big school – I know I just named all SEC schools, but um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a big school – you're going to have pretty good recruits and those pretty good recruits aren't going to like sitting on the bench. So I get it because LSU's receiving core next year. Uh, they've got Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall Jr., both five-star recruits. Um, I'm not sure who they're going to play at that third spot yet. I mean, it's all speculation, but, I mean, but they've got four stars sitting there waiting. Um, so it's – listen uh, – it's not going to be a huge loss for LSU, I don't think. I think LSU has more, has other positions to be more worried about. But, um, I mean, definitely still a big loss for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who he picks, though, because he could probably go almost anywhere he wanted to in the country. Yep, uh, I 1,000% agree. Uh, I, there's no predictions out there yet for where he's going because he's pretty new to the portal. But I'm sure those will be coming out pretty soon. And I won't be surprised if at SEC school – comes at him or you know he might take the jc route and you know go to a jc and then come back and play immediately for someone but well yeah i mean he was suspended right i mean so he's been suspended for, so. for a good portion of the year i think he was suspended all year actually so i mean <laughs> he, he might do the jc route that makes a lot of sense i, I didn't even consider yeah. that yeah it definitely could be always an option but moving on to the offensive line um, this was kind of in the news uh, a few weeks ago, last week-ish. Um, we have Cade Mays, five-star Georgia offensive tackle. He is officially transferring to Tennessee, and he will be um, eligible immediately from what I've read. And that's because, if you don't remember the story from a week or so ago, his dad was the one suing Georgia for amputating his finger in one of their uh, seats in the stadium. I don't know how that happened. I, I have no idea, but apparently um, odds are he's going to be eligible immediately because of uh, the waiver. That's so stupid. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Yes, I heard it. I didn't think it was the stadium. I thought it was like a team <laughs> event, and it was like a folding chair that he's got his hand stuck in, but I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> that's so stupid because Georgia's losing everybody, man. They're losing everybody, and they're losing this guy because his dad got his finger cut off. That's just <laughs> This is the best story that we've had all year in college football. It blows my mind, right? I yeah. mean, and then, and then let's talk about Tennessee picking up another five-star tackle. How does this make sense? I don't get it. Well, I mean, Caden Mays was deciding. I think he – I believe, if I remember right, uh, if my research was right, he committed to Georgia over Tennessee. So he he wanted to go back to Tennessee because that was his number two school, which I got you there. Um, and, you know – Odds are, if you're a five-star at Georgia who is going to be a starter this year, you got this Tennessee thing down. You're going to be a starter at Tennessee. But 
it just helps Jeremy Pruitt keep building Tennessee. I mean, a lot of these way to, uh, way uh, top 25 polls, way too early top 25 polls, has Tennessee in the top 20. It's crazy. Um, and, and, you know what? Spoiler alert, guys. They are not in my top 25. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that's a huge pickup. I believe they have a five-star senior offensive tackle on the other side of him. So, I mean, this Tennessee offensive line is looking very stout. Um, for the future. And another SEC school that had an offensive tackle transfer, we have Kellen Deesh, um, Texas a offensive tackle, and predicted going to Arizona State. Wow. Okay. So, uh, Herm Edwards strikes again, man. I mean, this kid was a four-star projected to start uh, upcoming in Texas A&M, decided to transfer, and this is this is a huge pickup for Herm Edwards and a Arizona State team that is on the, the upswing after their big win over Florida State in the Sun Bowl. Right, um, it, it's it's definitely a good pickup for Herm Edwards. Um, obviously, I mean it's Herm Edwards. Who wouldn't <laughs> want to go play for Herm Edwards? That guy is electric, uh, and obviously a legendary coach. You know, I made I made fun of him, but <laughs> he is a legendary coach. So I, I understand I understand why they're leading right now. Yeah, a thousand percent. So moving to the D line, we have two SEC programs. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, we cover a lot of SEC teams because they are all ranked, and these are like big transfers that were five and four stars. Um, but we have Antonio Alfano, the Bama defensive end. This guy was a five star, I believe, top ten player in the country. Um, the, and you guys have probably been following him a lot because he transferred got suspended, came back, got suspended again, said he was going to transfer, tried to come back, got suspended, I believe, again. And now he's finally transferred um, away from Alabama. You know, he's had a tumultuous time at, you know, in Tuscaloosa, but he is going to Colorado. Makes sense, I think. Um, yeah, he's from the West Coast. I believe he's from California, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – I don't understand why he came back to Bama after he after he got suspended and transferred. But um, ending up at Colorado, that sounds actually perfect to me. Um, kind of off the radar uh, or flying beneath the radar anyway. And uh, how much trouble can you get yourself into? Well, that's Colorado. You can probably get yourself into a good bit of trouble. But yeah. um, you know, maybe maybe well, and- like what, what? Do you know why he was suspended? Um. I believe he was like missing practice and there was like ah, okay. rumors of a family issue. And so he per- like, he took a personal leave, but then it was reported that it was a suspension. I believe it was smoking marijuana. Oh, well, there was a see, lot of it was smoking. Th- if th- it was smoking, then that's fine in Colorado, right? Th- th- there was a bunch of rumors. I'm not going to report <laughs> that it was anything, but I heard it was a very weird. No one really knew what was going on. No, you um, can report the situation. You report anything as long as you say that it allegedly was this. I mean, that, that saves yeah. us legally, right? But, Can we get a lawyer? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we need a lawyer immediately. Um, but, you know, this kid, um, he followed his SEC ties. People forget Mel Tucker. The He was an assistant coach at Georgia. I believe he was a defensive coordinator for Georgia. Is the head coach at Colorado now. So this guy most likely recruited this kid when he was out of high school. So I think it was a good move. And uh, we have one more guy from the defensive line, also transferred from an SEC program to a pack, another Pac-12 school. We have Charles Moore. He he was an Auburn defensive end, so he barely got into Auburn based on grades. Auburn almost cut a scholarship. He made it by like a point, a grade point average. It was like he got like a two point six. Um, 
and he said he was not happy at Auburn because of different things. So he is transferring to Oregon State. Uh, gross. Um, <laughs> this kid, the, this kid, um, I believe is from Mississippi. Cited leaving right. Auburn because of family stuff, and then he transfers for Oregon State. I don't think that adds up very much. No, he just wanted to go back home, man. Yeah, back home to Oregon, you know, across the country from where this kid's from. But this kid was a borderline five-star defensive end. Uh, he was one of Auburn's most, you know, the highly rated recruits in the recruiting class that he came in. And so I think, you know, if you're Oregon State, I mean, you have to be somewhat excited, right? I mean, you get – Yeah, I mean, you think. Uh, you get a Southern defensive end that, you know, Charles Moore decided between Alabama – Auburn and Georgia, I believe, for his top three schools. So, I mean, if those three schools are pushing hard for a kid, if in your Oregon State and you wind up with them, that that calls for a celebration. Absolutely, you're right. <laughs> but so, moving to linebacker, uh, we have three guys we got to cover here. We have Kendall McCollum from LSU. Brandon, another LSU player in the transfer portal. He won't be our last one. We still have secondary to go. So what's your thoughts on McCollum leaving? Uh, I'm going to give this one a big meh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, meh. Okay. Yeah. Bet. It's just a big meh for me. I mean, obviously, you don't want these linebackers to leave, especially with uh, Aranda leaving, but that's kind of what you have to expect. I mean, Aranda leaves, obviously players are going to leave as soon as he does, Like especially the players that he's been – that he has recruited. I mean, this guy, what was he? He's like a three-star recruit uh, going into LSU. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know where he's going? Nope. Uh, there's no predictions. No one really knows yet. Because um, uh, I believe he just entered the portal not too long ago. So I don't think anyone has a prediction just yet. I got you. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that was pretty LSU through and through. Um, obviously, this was his first season uh, with the Tigers. It's kind of crazy that he's leaving now. But um, I think before LSU, he was uh, – I mean, he, there were a couple other schools on his radar. I think like Ole Miss, Clemson. Ole, um, Ole Miss and Louisville were the two biggest when he yeah. was uh, – but the is, we better watch the state of Alabama. I mean, the kid's from Oxford, Alabama, right. which is not far from Tuscaloosa. So, you know, if if Alabama pushes hard or Auburn pushes hard, I would not be surprised – for McCallum to head that way. But Auburn's pretty set on linebackers. I can see Bama maybe because, I mean, they're losing some linebackers after this year. You know, McCallum sits out of the year. But based on what I've read, I would totally expect the J.C. route to be his option. I can see it, especially as a uh, as a true freshman uh, this mm-hmm. year. So he's got – I mean, he redshirted this year. So he's got four years of eligibility. So he goes and plays for head J- to East Miss. Head to East Mississippi, get you a natty. Head back to the SEC. Yeah, bro. just stay away from Indy. Um, well, I guess Jason Brown's gone, so maybe go there. I don't know. Just yeah, I mean they won their conference this year. Yeah. Oh well, that's probably because Jason Brown's gone. This is the anti-Jason Brown podcast, <laughs> by the way. I don't mind Jason Brown. He's all right, right? Uh, is he? I don't know. <laughs> go to go to Mississippi Gulf Coast. They're hey, they just won the champ. They just won the championship. That's pretty there close you go. where you're at. I mean, <laughs> well, you see, guys, we'll give uh, free advice to these recruits. Um, another SEC school, uh, I'm sorry, the bias is showing Michael Harris, um, linebacker out of Auburn. He was a four star recruit out of Georgia. He uh, upset because Auburn just recruited four linebackers in their most recent class and had a five star number one outside linebacker in the country. Their pat this past class, he knew there was no playing time coming. 
He's gone. I totally expect this dude to take the JC route. He was redshirted, just like McCallum. I just I don't think Georgia's going to go right after him. I think he's going to have to take the JC route. But, but look out a, for he was a redshirt sophomore though, right? Yeah, yeah, he played uh, his first year. Gotcha. Which probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world, but that's that's another that's that's just another debate. But Alabama, Florida, and Georgia were big schools behind Auburn. A sneaky one to watch is Colorado State. I don't know how they wound up in his top five. They did. So look out. I would say look out. And I think Florida and Georgia are the two that you really should watch out for for this kid. But speaking of Florida, we have Brenton Cox, the Georgia five-star linebacker. He is officially transferring to Florida. This was announced midseason before we really got into the transfer portal. This dude, I mean, he almost – apparently there was some family stuff where he was almost eligible during the season this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's – so you said he's transferring – wait, I'm sorry. Where was he, he going? He's, he's transferring from Georgia to Florida. To Florida, got it. Okay, that makes, I was about to say, I knew he was in Georgia. I thought you said he's transferring to Georgia. I was like, what? How? Um, yeah, but no, um, uh, yeah. And, and obviously I don't know what, I don't know what's going on with them. Um, uh, I hope everything's fine. I hope everything works out obviously, but, um, I mean, I wouldn't be too upset about going to play for this Florida defense. Would you? No, I'll, I'll I mean, take with it. Todd Grantham. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll play for him all day. Yeah. A thousand percent. I have, I mean, and the, the way this Florida team is on the upswing, um, I'm really high on them. Um, and, you know, I was – in our predictions for the early podcast, I picked LSU to win the SEC and win the SEC West. Florida's my SEC East pick as of right now. Yeah, uh, to, to I mean, they are just going to be that good. And to move on to our final position, not drag this episode out any longer for you guys, we go to defensive back. We have three people in this one. First, we'll start with Manny Netherly, an LSU cornerback. Brandon, is this another meh for you? It it's it's gonna sound bad. It's a big meh for me, actually. Um, he's a cornerback, <laughs> dude. He's a cornerback. Yeah. So, I mean, LSU's returning Derek Stingley, obviously. Um, I mean, they're returning a couple guys from last year. So I, I'm not. I'm honestly not too worried. I know he's a four star. He was a four star guy coming in. Um, there. You know, obviously, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think that he's committed anywhere else yet. No, but, he's not. Yeah. So he's. Um, I don't know. He came at LSU as a wide receiver, which is nuts. He's a cornerback now, so maybe he might be playing a different position in another school. Yeah, um, you never know. And, you know, to stay, you know, to break the SEC bias, here we are. We have Isaiah Pryor. He was an Ohio State safety, four-star. He is headed to Notre Dame. Okay. Kind of, I mean. Uh, I'm for it. I'm for, yeah, I like uh, it. That's a, a huge pickup for Notre Dame. I mean, if you had to say the weak point in Notre Dame last year, what would it have been? For me, it would have been their secondary. Right, absolutely. I, I mean, their offense kind of – I mean, they were they were clicking a little bit. Obviously, uh, Ian Book is, is is a pretty good quarterback. Um, uh, they got their running game going eventually. Um, so now their defense is getting this a little bit – they're getting a little bit of padding here. Uh, I mean, this guy was almost a five-star coming out of high school. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a great pickup for uh, – Notre Dame, obviously. I mean, he went to IMG Academy, so I think I don't think they put out anything less than four star <laughs> recruits. They, they kick you out of school if um, you uh, do not. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of schools will suspend you if like your grades drop too low. If your if your two four seven composites uh, score drops too low at IMG Academy, you're out. See ya. 
Yeah, there you go. So our last guy, Otis Reese, when I took my notes, he was not committed anywhere. He's a Georgia safety four-star. He just announced about 18 hours ago, he is transferring to Ole Miss to join Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I, listen, I want to I play for uh, Lane Kiffin, so I get it. What I say, as soon as Lane Kiffin went to Ole Miss, I said he's going to bring the recruits with him. And obviously, it's starting to look like he is. Yeah, maybe he can bring back that Landshark defense that we all loved. Because yeah. Otis, Reese, Otis Reese is a stud, guys. Don't sleep on this kid. Uh, he's going to be an absolute monster. So um, let's, let's not you know, sleep on this kid at all. But we got one more segment for you guys today. Storyline of the week. I will let Brandon kick this one off. Let's go. All right, my storyline of the week. Um, so contrary to popular, uh, to popular belief, the LSU football program is not being reduced to nothing. I know, it's shocking. Um, but they're probably going to be just fine. And what do I mean by that? I mean, obviously, a lot of their players, a lot of their coaches uh, are gone. But what I wanted to focus on mainly were the coaches. Obviously, you have Joe Brady um, heading to Carolina. To uh, He's going to be the offensive coordinator for the Panthers, right? So Matt Rule's first hire, Joe Brady. I, I like the hire. I mean – Obviously, I would have liked for Joe Brady to stay uh, with LSU, but I think I honestly think this guy's destined for the NFL. So, see him go to Carolina. Um, you know, it, it kind of sucks, but it's better than if he would have gone to like another SEC school. That would have just I, I would have lost it. Anyway, um, other than that, I mean, we've got Dave Aranda. Uh, obviously, he 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 accepted the uh, head coaching job at Baylor. Something about Love that. Something about these LSU guys and Baylor just it's just they revolve around it because Joe Brady's gone to Carolina to coach for Matt Rule, the old coach for Baylor. Um, he took the job at Carolina this offseason, and now Dave Aranda's heading to Baylor. I love the hire. I think it's a fantastic hire. Dave Aranda should have been a head coach before now. Um, I, I was honestly I'm I'm kind of shocked that he was with LSU for as long as he was, um, because before he was uh, with LSU, he was with Wisconsin. So. Um, came from Wisconsin. Now he's the head coach at Baylor. Fantastic hire. So LSU's losing both of those guys, obviously, and it's going to be a big hit because Joe Brady was one of the best offensive minds in college football. Dave Aranda, one of the best defensive minds in college football, and that's why LSU won a national championship this year in such a convincing manner. Um, now, some other things that I do want to touch on a little bit is that other teams have been uh, kind of on the radar for LSU's coaches. Um, you know, they're, they're wanting to uh, give these guys jobs, the first of which is Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph was uh, LSU's – or he still is LSU's wide receivers coach. Um, and he just recently, within the past, I think, three days, turned down the Nebraska passing game coordinator and associate head coach job. Now, Mickey Joseph is not the associate head coach at LSU, which, you know, you have to think if he would have gone to Nebraska, that would have been a pay raise, uh, obviously um, a promotion. And not only that, but he graduated from Nebraska. He played for Nebraska in college. So you'd think this guy would want to go, but apparently he's uh, he's staying uh, in Baton Rouge. Kind of crazy because you'd think that if anyone could get him, it would be his alma mater. Apparently not. He wants to stay uh, with the Tigers. Makes sense to me. I'd want to stay with LSU forever. So, um, And finally, Corey Raymond within the past three days also. um, He's LSU's defensive backs coach and uh, associate head coach. And this is one of the guys. He's been at LSU since 2012. 
And he's one of the guys that has truly shaped LSU into DBU uh, as, you know, that's self-dubbed, but that's not even self-dubbed. I think other people call LSU DBU. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's one of the guys that shaped that. Um, and he had an offer to become the cornerbacks coach at Texas A&M. So just to put that in perspective, uh, I thought this was a little bit ridiculous because he is the defensive backs coach and associate head coach at LSU. And then Texas A&M swooped in and was like, hey, you want to be our cornerbacks coach? So I've been trying to think about how that uh, meeting must have went, right? So uh, Texas A&M was probably like, hey, I know you're currently the defensive backs coach and associate head coach at the school that just won the national championship and all. Uh, but how would you feel about taking a pay cut in a lesser position at a school who hasn't won a national championship since 1939? No, I mean, obviously you're not going to want to do that. And I say 1939, that's kind of like, okay, so Texas A&M has three championships, but they have three championships in the same way that LSU has seven, or not LSU, that uh, Alabama has 17. So they really have no national championships. They just claim a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not – Listen, obviously I'm a little bit worried about these LSU coaching losses. Uh, but one of the things I did want to do before I ended my storyline was I wanted to talk about my top candidates for the defensive coordinator job. Um, I was going to do the same thing for passing game coordinator, but I was talking to Zach about it, and there's just so few passing game coordinators right now in college football. It's not like a prevalent position, and I wouldn't be shocked if LSU went without a passing game coordinator next year. So um, for the defensive coordinator job, I'm going to go ahead and name two coaches that I would love to see LSU go after. Uh, I might do three, but I have two written down. The first one, and I want, I want your thoughts on this too, Zach. I would like to see LSU go after Todd Grantham. A thousand percent. He's not leaving though, bro. He's been with Dan Mullen for uh, what? Eight years now. Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a Mississippi state grad. I mean, he's a Mississippi state guy through and through. And you know, when Dan Mullen went to Mississippi State, that's kind of how they uh, they got together. Um, and he took him away from Mississippi State. So, uh, I don't know. Well, well, well I mean, he, he, the only reason he lost um, – I mean, he left Mississippi State is because I think he has more loyalty to Mullen than he does a school. And the only, the only reason I say that is because I think the only reason he leaves Mullen is for – like a head coaching job somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Now, there's been rumors that LSU is trying to target him, so that's that's really why I brought it up. And I'd love for him to go to LSU, so but I I, I don't know how feasible that is. Um, I think I think he'll take the I think he'll take the interview. Yeah, I, I could definitely see it, and I think that LSU can probably offer him more money than Florida can. Thousand percent. So anyway, um, the second guy, um, and he's a close second to me. And it's a guy that, I mean, this honestly might kind of surprise you, Zach. Um, Jim Leonard, uh, he's Wisconsin's defense coordinator. uh, Love it. Every bit. I mean, did you see that Wisconsin defense early this season? That's what I'm saying. That's And and there's been rumors about this guy, too. So that would be – the only problem is I like he. That's his alma mater is Wisconsin. He was an All American safety there. I I just how interested is he making a lateral move as another defensive coordinator? I I think this is another guy that is going to be hard. You're going to be hard pressed to convince to take a lateral move away from his alma mater. Yeah, fair enough. I understand what you're saying. Um, but but man, I would. I think he probably ends up getting an interview at LSU. Um, oh yeah, and and 
I'll put this in perspective for myself. So I'm an LSU fan, so I can't be like, hey, if I got an, if I got an interview with LSU, I'd take it. Okay, let's do this. If you've got an interview at, like, Georgia, so say that you're at your alma mater. Say that you maybe, – maybe your alma mater is in a different conference. Let's, for instance, let's say that you're at Michigan. You're Michigan's defense coordinator, and you get a call from Kirby Smart wanting to know if you want to come down to interview for the defensive coordinator job at Georgia. I think I hear him out. I think that I go down to I, 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 would, and, I would take the interview. Don't get me wrong. I would take the interview. But uh, would I leave for it? It would depend. I think it depends on a lot of things. And I think some of those things that it depends on are, hey, when's your most recent championship? Hey, how's that defense looking? Hey, what's the, what's the culture like where you're at? And so that's one of the things that I think could really sway one of these coaches. Um, and I said that I was going to do two. I've got one more that I do want to talk about. Uh, and this one really to me might be the most feasible um, uh, Chris Richard. So Chris Richard is the defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys right now. Um, this would be a step up for him. I mean, cause he'd be a coordinator. So uh, obviously he was a defense coordinator with, uh, with the Seahawks. Uh, he kind of shaped the Legion of boom and he's kind of taken a, a step down, like a roll down with the Cowboys. Um, I'd like to see him, come to LSU I I really I, I know I said this is probably the most feasible it might not be I forgot about the fact that he is an, a USC grad and he just had an interview with USC to be their defense coordinator so maybe not but I'd like to see this guy get a chance yeah I mean I, I have a few people who I think sh- they should interview uh I think they're I think one of them is very likely they get to interview and one I think is someone that not many people are talking about okay uh, so I'll start out with the one that's kind of out there that I don't even know a lot of people might know, and that's Randy Shannon. Okay, yep. Um, right now, in case you guys don't know who he is, y'all aren't like us and just live, breathe, and eat college football. He is the defensive uh, coordinator, linebackers coach at um, UCF. Right, and um, man, I didn't. I don't and, know how I didn't think about that. And and the only reason I could see this maybe working, um, he. His senior year, he played uh, defense for the Miami Hurricanes. He went to Miami. His position coach his senior year was Coach Ed Orgeron. Right. And that was Ed's first year at Miami. Um, and I, I think Randy Shannon is has the ties to, you know, be an interesting hire. I mean, this dude has um, NFL experience. He was a Dolphins assistant in the late 90s. He had a, he has he was the D coordinator for Miami in the 2001 2005 range when they were uh, really good. In case you guys don't remember, he was the defense coordinator for Florida for two years um, or three years. My bad. And now he's the UCF coach. He's won a assist a national assistant award. He uh, was the Burles Award winner. I mean, this guy has the record. I just don't know. I don't think he's going to be a huge you know splash, but. Um, I think I think he's an interesting hire. And then the other one I think would piss some people off, but people forget how good he was as a defensive coordinator, and that's Charlie Strong. I um, wouldn't be shocked at all if Charlie Strong made its way down to Baton Rouge. And I would actually – it's not going to piss me off. That's going to – I love I love that. I love that. A lot of people – a lot of people – might not like that though, just because because of his they, tenure as a head coach. I mean, yep, you can't look at that. There's some guys that are just better coordinators than they are coaches. 
Yeah, I mean, well, look at the teams that, you know, he was the D coordinator for. I mean, he was the D coordinator for Florida for years back when Florida was um really good. I mean, it just that they they were really good. And I mean, what he did, I mean, and people forget his head coaching record isn't that bad. He's a 74 and he has a 74 and 53 record with two conference championships and two coach of the year awards at Louisville. Dude, his, his tenure at Louisville, he shouldn't have left Louisville, by the way. He went to Texas and horns down because they – I don't want to put all the blame on, on the university itself, on the program itself, but I'm going to because, geez, dude. I mean, he got there five years after they were in the national championship game, and after that national championship game, Texas was just going downhill. Yeah, they were, and I just I think a lot of people let that sway their opinions, but I think I think it's a great hire. I think Charlie Strong and you know Randy Shannon are the two best choices, the two most logical choices in my opinion um, for LSU to hire, and especially Randy Shannon that has connections to Ed Orgeron and knows what he wants in his defense. Right, absolutely. All right, well, Zach, go ahead and tell us your story uh, of the week, and I think we both not- got some thoughts on this one. Yeah, we do. Um, in case you guys missed it, Brandon dropped a killer, well-written blog about this OBJ situation. Oh, well, thank uh, you. Link, yeah, link's on our Facebook. Link is on our Twitter. Go check it out. I know a lot of you guys already have. Uh, you know, you guys are really active on the blog when we put stuff up there, so shout out to you guys for that. Um, you know, but it was titled, Let's Cut OBJ a Little Slack, and um, – you know, Brandon got a lot of publicity for it, and I figured I need to give my opinion so we can complete the blue blood opinion. And I think my opinion differs a little bit from Brandon, but we're similar in other ways. <laughs> um, in case you guys don't know what happened, it was the LSU money money scandal. The OBJ situation is Odell Beckham Jr., uh, wide receiver for the Browns, used to be wide receiver for the Giants, LSU alum. He was caught on camera giving out wads of cash to multiple LSU players after the national championship game. He also was caught on video taking the microphone from the band director, (laughs) jumping up in the band, having to get kicked out of the stands and also running around punching playfully random people backing up, acting like he was a basketball player, slapping random people on the backside. (laughs) And even the most controversial thing was slapping a cop on the backside. It was a security guard. Get out of here. Whatever. (laughs) Cop, security guard, which ended up, you know, having a warrant out for his arrest. Just an update since Brandon's written his blog, the DA has chosen not to press charges, not to pursue the charges pressed against OBJ. So this is – Done deal. OBJ's not going to go to jail, not going to get arrested, yeah. not going to be fined. Right now, it's just dead. It's just people's opinion about what he did. Yeah, so, my, my theory is that they probably read my blog and they're like, you know what? We should cut him some slack. <laughs> We're reaching uh, lots of people here on the Blue Bloods. But, um, you know, I have a lot of mixed opinions about this. Um, yeah, I'm just – I'm kind of torn on the issue. So, first, he – no charges should have been pressed. That's a little ridiculous. If you saw the video, I mean, he tapped the dude on the backside, um, but it wasn't an assault. It wasn't vicious. It was just like, hey, man, let us celebrate, whatever. Like, okay, I'm cool with it. No charges pressed. Should he have done it? Probably not, but that's beside the point. There's a lot of stuff that you shouldn't do, but you also shouldn't go to jail for it, if you know what I mean. Um, So... Yes, everyone should be able to have fun, celebrate their team winning the national championship. I know if Auburn was there, I'd be acting a fool. 
Um, but also at the same time, you have to know your limits and show some type of discipline. And I uh, just, uh, the thing that really got me, I think so a lot of people have said this and it's been kind of, some people don't agree with it. Some people do. I think he, I think it was selfish to steal the spotlight from, you know, the kids that actually did something. Um, OBJ had no effect on this team winning the natty. Um, OBJ didn't do anything. Uh, not one single thing he did help this team win a national championship and really and truly OBJ had his chance to win a national championship in that same stadium and he could not do it. His offense, the offense he played on was held to 92 yards total in the game. Eh. Um, and he lost the national championship. And um, I just thought it was a real selfish move for him to take the focus on what should have been LSU, Joe Burrow and the team and put it on himself because when you turned on the TV, you know, the next day, everyone's talking about OBJ and not the players they should have been talking about. And I thought it was a weak move. I understand. But at the same time, think about it this way. And listen, if you've read my articles, you know that I'm not 100% serious about any of them. So uh, if you didn't understand that, I feel like I didn't need to explain that. Now it's a little bit less funny. But um, <laughs> no, but come on i mean give him do really do give him a little bit of slack though both of his parents are lsu grads he's an lsu grad he's from he's i mean he's from baton rouge he grew up in new orleans but um i, I mean it's it's something different i understand that he had the chance to win a national championship there um now let's not let's not act like it was like a huge chance because he had jordan jefferson passing to him so uh people forget that but i don't know I understand that there was a, there were a lot of things that he could have not done there, <laughs> but, but lay off just a little bit because yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, and I don't, I don't want to go into detail about, uh, I mean, you guys heard me the night of the national championship, so I can't criticize anybody. <laughs> Out of the fact, the only thing is like, he may have ruined this experience for future alumni though. The NCAA is now investigating changes to the sideline policy. Aww. Where alumni of the program aren't going to be able to go on the sidelines for the games. Boo! That's not going to happen. Let's let's not do that. I don't know, bro. The NCAA is doing some wild stuff. Let's let's not act like I hate it's the NCAA. Out of the I hate the NCAA. It's ah, oh you're right. I hate the NCAA. So we kind of talked about this issue in one of our hot take segments uh, earlier this season about paying players. Um, you guys know our opinion. If you don't, go check out the episode. You can find it in the catalog somewhere. Um, but takes like from people like Jamel Hill and other people that I have read about, listened to from all kind of different networks. I'm not just targeting Jamel Hill and, and wherever she works now. She got fired from ESPN. Um, wherever she works, wherever all these other people work, like, can we stop acting like, you know, it's a bad thing that coaches are making money? Like, it's so ignorant to say that, bro. Like, in case you guys didn't, don't remember uh, or didn't see the tweet that was shared by Jamel Hill, she was saying that it's stupid for um, OBJ to get in trouble because of the, of the bonuses that both of these coaches made. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Um, that, that's insane. That's that's so stupid. That does that have anything to do um, with anything here? I mean, can we please stay on point? Can we not? You know, uh, I don't know. It just really got to me because it's like 
these coaches are making money, winning the national championship. You know, they built these teams. They're the ones coaching. They have a contract where they have incentives, just like she signed a contract with ESPN that had incentives. Can I, can I, can I, I've been holding back from doing this. Can I go on a 30 second tangent about ESPN? Hit it. ESPN. What, what I don't understand because there's so many things that you could have talked about after this game. There's so many, I mean, you could have chosen like the regular stories after every national championship. Like, Hey, let's talk about the players. Let's talk about the coach. Let's talk about the, the lasting impact of this team. Instead, you decided to harp on the OBJ accident. And not only that, but you decided to take the interview that Joe Burrow did on pardon my take and twist what he said, like your TMZ. You're not TMZ. You're the largest producer of sports media in the entire world. And you have to take, you have to take a headline like, yeah, Joe Burrow said players were being paid after the game, said it was real money. That's not what he said. Go run the tapes back. It, I don't understand why, they're, why they want to act like a gossip company, like, like a TMZ. And that's my rant. Yeah. I'm not, this isn't to burn any bridges, ESPN. This is me calling you on, <laughs> on something serious. I don't think that's funny. I mean, if, if Zach or I did that on this show, I wouldn't think it was funny. I don't think it's funny. And, I mean, and it was not even this situation. If it were any situation and you're taking the, you're taking the what actually happened, like a 10-minute like interview that he did, if you can't listen to it all the way through to get every single fact of what was actually said, then don't do it. Do your job. That's and I'm 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 legitimately mad right now. And I've been talking. <laughs> I'm mad. Uh, Brandon's heated, guys. Brandon is heated. It is getting serious. But Dude, yeah, this could be I the hate- scenario at Alabama, and I'd be mad about it. Don't take a cheap shot like that. Do your job. Yeah, I mean, and we've already talked about what it is to pay players, but let's not change the argument. Um, change the attention, like. Be, making ignorant takes about coaches making a living on professional contracts that they sign. Um, that's, that's ridiculous to say that coach O doesn't deserve the money he was paid because if you watch this season, he deserves every penny of his contract. And so does Dabo Sweeney. Um, so let's, let's, let's not be ignorant about it and just take away from the kids. I just hated to see this whole scandal because it took away from the real, you know, the real people, in this situation that deserve credit, which is the players on the LSU team this year, the players on the Clemson team this year, the coaches, the people who actually played a part, and to see a bunch of people who weren't involved take up all the all the attention, all the media was just disappointing in my opinion. Exactly. Right. Mm. All right. So that is our show today. Wait. Should I should I make the announcement, Zach? You think I should? Go ahead. Make the announcement. Let's Burn go. This episode's coming out Monday anyway. Guys, if you're listening to this, you get the first look at what's going on within the world of the Blue Bloods. We told you we're coming out for content this year. We told you that we had huge announcements. And our first huge announcement is, I don't know how we swung it, but we are credentialed media at the Senior Bowl game week and game day. That's right. I... I'm going to be in the press box during the game. I'm going to be on the field during the game. I'm going to be at practice all week, interview, hopefully interviewing players. Uh, and, and guys, this is the biggest week that we've had in the history of our – we're five months old, and we're doing this. So we're really out here doing it. Um, we're obviously going to have uh, po- like something out later today. 
um, whenever I get my credentials, I'll let everybody see. I'm not lying to you. Um, but I wanted to make the announcement here first, because if you're listening on Monday morning, you deserve the world. Yeah, guys. So big things coming. We have um, other credentials in the works. Uh, we'll announce those once they're confirmed. I have our episode schedule written out. We are coming with one to two, sometimes three episodes a week for the all season for the foreseeable future. We have combine coverage. We have draft coverage. We have recruiting coverage. We have spring practice coverage. We have all kind of stuff. We have season recaps for every conference. We have national signing day coverage. You guys, we are coming at you with a lot of stuff. We're going to be active on the blog, one to two posts a week. Even with our class schedule, we come in hard with this stuff. So we have episodes coming. We have blog posts coming. So stay tuned. You guys have been listening. You guys have been reading. You guys have been liking, sharing, all this stuff. And shout out to you guys for that. Yeah. Um, So we'll be at you all week long. You know, who knows how many podcasts we'll have this week. It may be a million, not positive yet. Uh, but, but for right now, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was about to say, social media, guys, Instagram, at the underscore Blue Bloods. Twitter, it is at the, uh, yeah, at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Facebook, you, I believe you can look up just the Blue Bloods CFB podcast, or it's at the Blue Bloods pod. Um all uh, blog posts will be posted on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, everything else posted across all platforms. Instagram's kind of weird. It does not like us posting the blog post on there. So if you follow us on Instagram, go follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or vice versa. If you follow us on anything, follow us everywhere. We'll be posting announcements across all platforms. So check us out. Follow, uh, like, subscribe, rate the podcast. We are getting up there in five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to you guys for that. And go find us. And on the blog, you can find links to all our um, all our different listening sites. So if you're just a blog follower or you know someone who likes to read blogs rather than podcasts, tell them to check us out on there. We have some articles on there they can catch up on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but for now, we're out.